place called Champion City. The forces of good and evil. Captain Amazing. What a surprise. Are about to collide. Well, we've always been each other's greatest nemesis. Sai. Nemesis. Nemesis. <laughs> now, with the city's one true hero missing. Captain Amazing is in danger. Kaboom. Who will step forward? You again. Wannabes. To answer the call of justice. Don't mess with the volcano, my man. Because I will go Pompeii on your butt. Oh, golly. They've been waiting for this moment. The city's in peril, Lucille. All of their lives. Butch needs his vest back. Well, it's my vest, too. I bought it for him. But now that their time has come... I'm a superhero, too. What's his power? They're going to need all the help they can get. You gotta find a lot of superheroes really quickly. State your name and power. PMS Avenger. I only work four days a month. Is there a problem with that? No. No. I am the Waffler. Waffle Man! Am I too late to try out? Sorry. You're in. Wow, my first mission and we're going to rescue Captain Amazing. Here we go! Universal Pictures presents... We need to talk about your plans. I'm going to kill you. Right, that's the part that really doesn't work for me. A new league of heroes that step to a different beat. Well, I am a ticking time bomb of fury. I don't find you threatening at all. <laughs> We're not your classic heroes. We're the other guys. Mystery Men. I'm invisible! Can you see me? Yes. Wow. Maybe you should put some shorts on or something if you want to keep fighting evil today. I hope everybody's ready for the live performance of Smash Mouth's All-Star by David Munchak. David, take it away. David, da- David. No, <laughs> just hit play on a boombox, <laughs> a two-tape player <laughs> boombox. <laughs> oh man, that song! I, well, that's that's the song. There that it is. that does not age well. That song. <laughs> and we well, still uh, hear it we're today. We're going to be talking about it today because it's so it's tied in with what we're what we're breaking down. Uh, welcome back to Reconcinimation. I'm John Diner, and I'm David Munchak. And this is the show that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we're checking out how they hold up today here in crazy 2020. Uh, welcome welcome back, David. We've, uh, we're having a, a heck of a you know, spring into the summer here. Sure, yeah. No, of course. Summertime. Love it. The Honda, Honda, Honda days are happening, I think, here in Southern California. Is yeah. Right? Is it the happy Honda days? Yeah. Is that during the summer? <laughs> Is that the sure. summer? <laughs> I don't listen to the radio or watch <laughs> television ads anymore, so I don't. I don't even know when the Honda days are. It's just they're now. It's now, and they're so commercial these days. Anyway, oh my god, the Honda days. So, uh, yeah, no, but it's a great time of year. Time to time to be watching some old favorites and some new favorites uh, on the old on the old rentals and the streamings and talking yeah. about them on your podcast and stuff and that's like the thing we do so let's let's keep doing that 
I uh, I went down this weird rabbit hole the other day of like looking up old commercials. You know how I do that. How sure. I like to explore the YouTube and just you know really get into something. So I'm looking at old commercials and uh, those like late '80s, early '90s slip and slide commercials mm. really mm. just encapsulated summer better than anything else. Really? Is that because you had a slip and slide? I couldn't have a slip and slide because my front yard was like very steep, you know, uh-huh. hill. Okay. Uh, so it would there would be damage at the bottom of that hill if you if you put a slip and slide there. All right. What? Okay. First question: Who puts their slip and slide in the front yard? And then no. Well, I didn't have a backyard. Oh. I had my backyard. My backyard was like another. Like my house was in between like two hills. So my backyard was like like a hilly woodsy area, you know, sloping up. And my front yard was like continuing that same slope. And somebody obviously like had leveled out an area for the house. Oh, wow. Okay. So there wasn't a yard to really to speak of maybe a patio. No, I mean, I had a, I had a small like level area in the, in the front, but not, it wasn't good enough for the slip and slide. Sure. Okay. Wow. So you just lived on the side of a mountain. Slip and slide would, would be an avalanche. Causing avalanches I, every day. I lived on the side of a cliff, and yeah. I. Would... <laughs> <laughs> the concept of a slip and slide in the front yard is so weird to me, though. Like, you know, is that weird? Does that Did s- you not have one? Well, certainly not in the front yard. <laughs> I think we had. Did a, you have one in the backyard? I feel like we did for a minute or two, but it might yeah. have been when I was I was still the youngest of many children, so it wasn't really mine. You know, like mm. something like, oh, Dave wants to pull out the slip and slide. I don't know. Either that or was like the neighbors and stuff. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I definitely that, had friends. Uh, my friend Eamon had one. So we, uh, yeah, we would, uh, it was, yeah, it was slip and slide. And I think somebody else had a crocodile mile. Remember that? Crocodile mile. Yeah. He, yeah. He, there's, you hit the bump, right? Do you hit the bump and take uh, a dive? Yeah. Well, there's, there's a few different ones. There's one that had like a pool at the end. Uh-huh. And then there was yeah some that had like a bump and yeah it was uh, those are fun but those were like that's summer that's summer to me cool yeah 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 I, I'm not this whole coronavirus thing that's not summer <laughs> right that's I mean it's this summer it's <laughs> unfortunately <this> <laughs> it is <laughs> but uh, the yeah water water things yeah for a long time for me it was a hose and then a hose attached to a sprinkler and then water balloons Mm -hmm. then water guns then neighbors pool and uh friends pools and then pools on like vacations and i i literally would spend all day in a pool hated going to the ocean though because the ocean sucks but i'd stay in the pool all day and i don't understand why people would rather sit outside of a pool when there's a perfectly good pool right there you can just be in the pool all day (laughs) why would you lay there i prefer i prefer the ocean where you know uh monsters can come eat you from below yeah Yeah. and that's it yeah that's you're just taking a risk there that's i i mean i'm i'm risk averse i'd rather know what i'm getting into chlorine highly chlorinated water you didn't have to shower You didn't have to shower. Chemicals. You didn't yeah. have to shower for weeks as a kid uh, in the in the pool days. You know, <laughs> it 
If yeah. You had, if you had access to a pool, you were living large as far as I was concerned. <laughs> we didn't have one, though, Well, when I grew up, yeah. so it was everyone else's. Anyway, summer... <laughs> Come anyway, we've been we've uh we've been having a heck of a run here on Reconsimation. Uh, a lot of good stuff. We're talking about Avenging Force. We're talking about Towering Inferno. We're talking about uh, Caddyshack, and and today we're going to uh, set the way back machine all the way back to 1999, which is a year we covered recently for our Galaxy Quest episode. Sure did, sure did, pal. I can't believe we're back to 99 already. But I think we're that, back. We're back, and uh, we're back to the uh, summer of '99, mm-hmm. uh, or before we were at uh, Christmas time '99. But uh, yeah, here we are with one of the many, many releases of big movies that summer. Yeah. That was, that was, uh, that was. There was a lot of movies. I mean, there's a lot of movies every year, but there was a lot of movies packed into that summer. Oh yeah, things were getting. Things were heating up that summer. It was great. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, man. What a time. We also covered another was... summer movie. Another summer movie in 99. Uh, the Blair Witch Project. Let's not forget. That's correct. We did. Yes. That was way back in year one. Yeah. Deep in the archives. Deep. Which so. you can find at www.reconcinemation.com. Both episodes and everything else we've got uh, you know, along the way there. Yeah. But uh, what was what was the first time you saw Mystery Men? Mystery Men was probably a rental the that holiday, maybe not the holiday, uh, maybe the following summer at some point, or just some random mm-hmm. weekend. I could see it being like on the summer, living back home after after a year of college, and would have would have rent movies on the weekends and and when I wasn't working and stuff like that. So. I feel like this was mm. one of those. That's, but I can't recall the when I first saw it. But I feel like I saw it within the year it came out, and then I hadn't seen it since until it was time to review it for the show. So, oh wow! Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just never went back to it, but I did enjoy it um, uh, at the time um, with everyone who was in it, and just the concept looked kind of neat and all that. So it was a it was an interesting little little thing, but I you know it didn't stand out enough for me to ever want to kind of see it again either. <laughs> What about I you? Think, yeah, I, I saw it. Uh, I missed it in the theater, like many, many people did. It was, and we'll talk about what, what happened there and yeah. why this movie got overlooked that summer. But yeah, I saw it on DVD. I, I think I just like went out, and this is when I was starting to collect DVDs. So I, I like straight just bought it on Reputation. Yeah. Um, my friend Jared and I watched this like multiple times in a very short period. And we're just, we thought it was hilarious and so funny. And we love all these actors. We were huge fans of in like 90, you know, like 98, 99, 2000. Mm -hmm. So, you know, big Stiller fans, big Hank Azaria fans and uh, William H. Macy ever since Fargo. Yeah. So, you know, on top of like, the rest of the cast, I mean, this is, we'll talk about it, but th- this is a great cast. Um, you know, Paul Rubens and Janine Garofalo and, um, you know, Tom Waits is great. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, Greg Kinnear. Um, so yeah. many great actors. But, yeah, we were fans of those guys, so we just picked it up. And, uh, de- yeah, it was definitely the summer of 2000 where I saw it. But, yeah. And I, and I loved it. I've, I've seen it many times. And, well, uh 
That DVD got its money's worth. Then, do you still have it? <laughs> that it sure did. <laughs> oh, of course I do. Yeah. Oh, of course it's still in the library. There we go. Well, that's good. Yeah, definitely. Whatever physical media, physical media, all the way, all the way, huh? You, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I used to really love the idea of having that physical media, uh, and then I don't know when I was like, I'll never, I'll never like just go into like streaming and. Uh, like, why would I, you know, I'll never buy it on a, like, buy a streaming movie, which, to be fair, I've never still done. I don't own, like, a streaming movie that's been licensed through, yeah. you know, Amazon or Google, but I don't feel the need to buy media anymore. <laughs> like, I will, I will rent it, uh, on an as-needed basis kind of thing. Um, the occasional mm. big kind of meaningful movie I, I will buy on a blu-ray or something like that um yeah but uh that that comes out that i just love but i'm not i'm not a collector of of those things anymore got rid of a like lot a, of, le- like like a hoodwinked maybe something like sure, that hoodwinked, hoodwinked um yeah. over the hedge uh ice age four these are four these are four these are my these are my my things <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah, to each his own. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Are you buying a lot of movies these days? Uh, no, I was, you know, increasing some older movies. Mm, yeah. Um, that aren't necessarily streaming, but um, yeah, yeah I, I have not. This year has been a little lighter. Sure. Well, and I and for movies that are of a certain age, um, that makes a lot more sense to actually have those physical yeah. copies. Like totally new re- stuff. No. Yeah. No. But like if there's anything that was released in the last like 20 years, there's almost no reason to, if it's like, if it was in a major theater chain at a certain point, you, there's no reason to buy it unless you really need those right, special features, right. you know? Um, well, especially I, go ahead. No, it's just like, and I'm not, I don't care if people buy that media. I'm just the, I'm one of the types that like, yeah, it's just not, not for me in terms of like what I want to, I don't want to have these things, but I totally get why people want the want to have these own these films. I mean, they're they're there in your collection. They're part of your library. Uh, totally makes sense. Once I found Videotech, our yeah. local rental store, uh, it all changed. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm uh, happy to rent from them. So that's uh, it. Really dropped off after that. So you really love giving them the business. Yeah. I will give Videotech the business over Amazon, you know, every day of the week. Good, good. Um, well, this one, gl- I'm glad to know you had it just raring to go. Just yeah. Probably just sitting in the DVD player because instead of, because it doesn't live in the case. It just sits on the DVD player waiting to be played at any given moment. Yeah. Yeah. I have one of those 10 disc DVD players. So yeah. Mystery Men has a an always spot in one of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> number number good old number eight <laughs> <laughs> but uh let's talk about let's let's talk about 1999 um okay a lot of competition that summer there was a lot of movies um yeah god what came out the, the matrix came out ahead of the summer right wasn't that like march ish was yeah, that somewhere around there technically it was the final day of march and uh but you know dominated that first weekend of april um and you know, and ran for many, many weeks. But yeah, no, it's, yeah, it, I wouldn't say that this was like a that a summer. You know, the early start to the summer was was that. But um, right, it was a little ahead of that. For yeah, sure. just ahead, like this this aberration in the <laughs> the big money. 
Yeah, but that summer was uh, The Mummy and Phantom Menace. Thank mm-hmm. God they made that. Uh, Austin Powers uh, 2, Tarzan. Mm-hmm. I think Tarzan was that year. Uh, Big Daddy, Wild Wild West, which was filmed in partially in Santa Fe at my school. Mm-hmm. Uh, American Pie, uh, The Haunting, mm-hmm. uh, Blair Witch Project, which we talked about, Sixth Sense, Iron Giant, Inspector Gadget. That's a lot of movies. That's yeah. a lot of big budget, big studio releases. Um, not that Blair Witch... Blair Witch was not that, but it was a highly anticipated movie. Yeah. Um, so a lot of competition, a lot of stars, and Mystery Men just kind of, you know, got dropped out there. And I think it was very easy for a movie like this in 1999 to get overlooked. Yeah, I could see that. Do you, th- do you think? I mean, I feel like if that movie came out years later, even after the Marvel movie started. It would have hit much bigger. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things working against this movie before it even comes out, and uh, particularly the last big comic book movie, which was Batman and Robin, two years before. Right. So that which this doesn't look very different from that. No, it is very much a Burton esque, weird, gothic, kaleidoscopian, neon techno nightmare of that movie. It, it, it looks the same um, with that sort of grungy kind of earthy feel to it too. Just like sort of, I don't know. It's just not quite, it's certainly not a polished looking movie in terms of like, it's got great des- like style and design, but it's, it's meant to allu- like sort of evoke darkness and kind of ugliness mm-hmm. um, like beauty and its ugliness. So it's uh, and you know, it's, and it's, it, it sounds like a comic book movie and it's everyone's just sort of, I think over it at that point <laughs> for the big, big budget stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, th- that was probably the biggest killer for it at the time. Yeah, I agree. I, and I, you know, just to backtrack for a sec, I think it more looks, it looks more like the Joel Schumacher, uh, well, movies and, and not so much as the Tim Burton ones. There's definitely a little Tim Burton in here, but the, with the colors and the yeah. you know the way it's shot and the costumes, like it really feels like Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Well, yeah, for certainly it's it's definitely more of that the Schumacher aesthetic. Um, you know, Schumacher just sort of evolved the Burton from like the gothic nature and then added his the flair. I would say you know there's still like the the idea of these big sets and 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 interesting design, but then adding his like sort of neon flair lights mm-hmm. um and just just a lot of things going on um you know the, the yeah this is this approach is more of the schumacher you're right but um it's it's all it's all i think a rejection of like this is looks like more of the same and it doesn't have like huge 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 stars in it and it looks a little mm-hmm. weird and looks a little homegrown um you know and then I don't know. I mean, despite that rockin' all-star soundtrack uh, anthem <laughs> to, that I'm sure played in the trailer, I, which I haven't oh, seen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. W- which I don't know if that was already being rejected by people yet or not. But <laughs> All-star? All-star, yeah. Yeah, I mean, people loved it at no, a certain I think, time. And then yeah, it, they, they loved didn't. it at the time. Yeah. I think it was by, like, 2001 that was like, okay, I have heard this song enough times for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, 
that. Uh, but this movie, this movie's coming out like at the tail end of you're not the you're close to the end of that summer of '99. So it really is coming out after a lot of these movies have already been out, mm-hmm. and you know that summer blockbuster thing is starting to get exhausted, mm-hmm. and then you throw another one here like right at the end. And like you're saying, you know, it's not like now where there are superhero movies that are most of which that are really well done, uh, you know, every couple of months. Back then it was we're we're talking what was out. It was the Superman movies were long gone. Uh, You had the Batman franchise. Spider-Man hadn't come out. You had Blade, which was a hit. But that was kind of it. I mean, like it was pretty much the Batman franchise, which had been, you know, completely discredited after Batman and Robin. Yeah, and I mean there was there were still movies being put out based on your comic book source material where you had like your Spawn and your Steel, right? And um, but uh, even Men in Black. But neither of those were hits. No, uh, no, Men in Black, the in which came out the same year, is technically a comic book property, but it really is just a sci-fi like action family movie kind of thing. So yeah, you you wouldn't call it a comic book movie. People don't associate it. Yeah, they don't associate it with the comic with comic books. Yeah, I mean, but it is like this is the thing is some of these things, some of these things that did work are based on comic properties. But you know, Wesley Snipes with with a, a katana blade hunting vampires, I don't think people cared if it came from comics or not. It just it had a great feel, great aesthetic, and and it was a yeah. well done movie that audiences responded to. So I've, I feel yeah, yeah. they probably thought Mystery Men might have a chance, like maybe that Blade, maybe could give them them some momentum but i think part of it is if if it's not actually a good movie uh for you know a broad audience you know it it these things they stall out you know and um and i think i think that's that's part of the the trick of these like comic book movies is like trying to satisfy a lot of people um and if you go a little too niche a little too subversive a little too um off off the formula that you know people it be, it be, it's one of those films that become a cult status and i think um like that's where mystery men kind of came in this doesn't this isn't as broadly appealing to people i think as as a lot of those things yeah um so speaking of so what do you know what the source material is for this because it's a little different and most i don't think you know, broad audiences knew yeah. that this was actually based on a real comic, although it's changed significantly. Yeah. Um, do you know the background of it? Yeah, I mean, originally, the Mystery Men they they came out of a, a single story of a of a thing called Flaming Carrot Comics, which is a uh, a creation from a guy named Bob Burden, uh, who first published Flaming Carrot. Like, uh, it was like a one off story. If, if in 1979, the story appeared in a supplementary magazine for what essentially is a comic con, but it was the Atlanta Fantasy Fair, and they they had mm-hmm. a booklet that came with it. So this original story of of Flaming Carrot was in it, and then uh, and then was in maybe the next ten years of those annual magazines that came with the show. Um, but then. Also, then he self-published a, a, an issue, and then took it to a self-publishing like house, um, and then produced it. I think it was like, Aardvark. I think was the original like people that published it. Like, so I think he had mm-hmm. five issues out of Aardvark, 
Aardvark kind of split their business and shut down, and then it became Renegade. Renegade published a bunch of issues through, like, and this is going on through the through the, out the eighties, and then Dark Horse right. pi- Dark Horse picked it up in eighty eight and through ninety four and published like thirteen issues, like from 80, eighteen to thirty one. The Mystery Man appeared in issue sixteen, which uh, would have been during the Renegade run, somewhere like in I think eighty five. Or eighty six, and um, and they, they part. They it shows that this guy, Flaming Carrot, who is a a guy who wanted to become a superhero <laughs> after reading five thousand comic books in one sitting at, on a dare, and then his brain got so warped by the idea of like com- of superheroics, he created his own costume. It's a giant. It's a giant carrot head with an with a, a eternally burning flame on the top instead of like the the green you know uh the the uh the the plant or the the green flower on top it'd be just a flame yeah. <laughs> but he didn't have any powers he didn't have but he had all these interesting gadgets and devices and a lot of them were very silly and and it was like this weird like subversive take on comics with its it, with its own style of humor and he succeeded in being a superhero only through like a sheer force of will kind of thing, you know, having the, mm-hmm. the bootstrap mentality, the, 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 the will, the grit to, to like, to perform well. And one issue revealed that he was part of the mystery men in the past. And the mystery men were, were people of the same sort of aesthetic. And then those, the, that issue, I think it, it was only a couple characters that existed in one form. Like the shoveler right. was in it. Was, it. was, yeah, the shoveler, Mr. Is it Mr. Furious, the one who calls him? I think so. Yeah, I think it was Furious, yeah. and then um, the character Doctor Heller, who's also in the movie, and is shown, I believe, to have given him his inventions that help him his gadgets to perform. So then, like that's all we saw of them throughout those comics, and then, um, and then basically, th- because the property kept going through different places, and then Dark Horse had them, and then Dark Horse had the someone had the i think universal end up having the optional rights to it the trademark of it yeah universal did and yep. then um and then um but then so they worked out something out with dark horse i guess to get the movie made so they published a mystery right. man comic for it you know ahead of it and um you know bob burden continued to do like flaming carrot comics and he wanted to relaunch mystery men which they did again i think a few years later um, but it, nothing really like m- substantial or was like maintained. So it's always, I mean, it's the thing. There's only like 30 issues of, of flaming carrot comics over the, over the course of 25 years. And there's only these yeah. limited things. But the, I think the, the idea of the, of the story was something that like definitely piqued people's interest where it's like, you know, uh, homemade heroes with the teaming up and, you know, trying to stop evil in their town. Um, it's kind of a, it's kind of a great idea, perfect formula, especially mm-hmm. after you're seeing like unstoppable kind of heroes on your movie screens where it's, you know, blade is a van. He's half vampire, you know, uh, Batman and Robin just can't lose. You know, uh, there's all these villains, things that are just because they win because they have the money to pay for these gadgets. And, uh, the men in black were super cool with their, with their devices and the aliens and stuff. So Superman can't be defeated. So this sounds like a hey, Joe, anybody can be a hero kind of thing. And yeah. that's kind of the, the 
theme of the movie, or at least part of it, one of the themes. Yeah, they're meant to be like blue-collar workers who are, you know, they're loser superheroes who don't have special powers and, you know, all they have is the gadgets and their sheer will. But they're like the guys, so like they would be the background fodder when the, you know, main superheroes would be, you know, fighting the the villains. Like you'd see these guys in the background getting their asses kicked. Like that's the kind of characters that these are. So these are the like you know, C D level superheroes. Mm-hmm. The wannabes. Uh yeah, the wannabes. Yeah. Uh but yeah, when so Universal and Dark Horse, you know, make a make a, a deal to exploit the characters and create a, a a film out of a film maybe franchise out of them. Uh they bring Bob Bob Burden comes in and has to uh you know he makes i think like a 40 page character outline where he just like does character synopsis for all these guys and, and way more and they bring him in and he's you know basically got to pitch all of those and then they would hand pick which ones they wanted to do for the movie yeah and i think invisible boy he just made up as a joke drunk at a party <laughs> yeah. and then the next day like the executives like tell everybody about that well, you told us last night, and he couldn't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's such a great, great concept. I mean, like a guy, yeah. a, a kid who can only be invisible when no one's looking at him. I mean, it's genius. It's, I, I, yeah, <laughs> some of these guys are, you know, their their jokes are. I think they're hilarious. I lo- I love it. I'm a, I'm a big fan of this movie. Mm-hmm. I get. And we'll we'll get into the specifics about kind of what what doesn't work for the movie, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think the the characters individually and what their powers are are pretty funny. Oh yeah, yeah. You get a get you get a little summary of them, and you're like, oh, that's funny. That's cool. Oh, that's that's hilarious. And you want to see a little bit more. You know, I, that's the thing. All the characters are pretty intriguing on their own. Um, yeah, especially like with the kind of world building they do in the movie, and then with like all the villains too. Just even the names of villains you never meet, and then all those <laughs> gangs of villains, uh, just yeah. are just so funny and silly. Yeah, the the treatment of the characters themselves, uh, I think, is done really well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Mister Furious is great. He's just his power is to just get really angry. You know, the whole scene where they attack Casanova Frankenstein's limousine, mm-hmm. and they're all. You know, it's like six or seven on one on this limousine, and they're really doing almost no damage to it, and they're all hitting it with like everything they have. Yeah, but it's like Mr. Furious is just banging on the roof with all his anger, and then the the Blue Raja is just scratching the side with a fork. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, the shoveler is just hitting, banging the other side with the shovel, and no one's actually getting hurt, and they're not stopping him at all. But yeah, it just cracks me up. Well, it's, that, the, um, that scene in particular is so funny because it doesn't turn violent. Like they, they, generally speaking, they have guns inside, but they don't shoot them or do anything. Like right. they, they beat up the limousine and they get in their station wagon and drive off, and it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah. And when they meet up with uh, with Tom Waits, who plays Doctor Heller, to get their their he's their weapons guy, but yeah. it's all non lethal. He specializes in non lethal weapons. Yeah. So, yeah. like the canned tornado. Come on, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. 
Yeah. The blame thrower. <laughs> oh, the blame thrower. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's so, but there's such a like. It's a great world that exists here that. I think in a different time period could have been a lot more successful. You know, these days, clearly people are very willing to accept comic book movies. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and there have been plenty of off the beaten path comic book uh, characters like Guardians of the Galaxy. Sure. Yeah. Of course. This is this. This is, uh, you know, I think in a similar vein to to Guardians, um, what the movie was as far as comedically and and a lighthearted tone to it um you know i don't i don't remember if the guardians comics were like that i think they were more serious but i i can't recall um but yeah i i think you know later on this could have been very successful even with the same cast mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think i think it, a lot of this is timing was was the was the success of this movie was really about timing uh, and the right. and sort of the mood of audiences at the time. Yeah, and I I do think, you know, there is there does seem to be a lack of creative kind of cohesiveness with yeah. the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does feel a little scattered, a little all over the place. It's leaning really heavy on the visuals and the jokes, but pretty, you know, pretty easy on the story. Um, so you're not really getting like emotionally involved at all. Um, and I think, you know, I think a lot of that falls on the hands of the director and, and, you know, clearly he was very involved in the, you know, creating that visual style and, uh, and Kinka Usher is the director who is, especially back then was like one of the top, top commercial and music video directors. Mm -hmm. And this was his kind of foray into, into feature films. So this, this could have been very big for him. Yeah. And then he hadn't done a movie since right was that right yeah this was kind of the beginning and the end and i think um you know it's part of the process of making making films in hollywood is it's a political battle there's a lot of political games being played and you know there's a lot of maneuverings and 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 projects are packaged together by agents with who are grouping directors and actors that are all under their agency together to have it made so it's all kind of funnels from one place but uh so there's a lot of you know games that are played and there was a lot of i think there was a lot of drama uh, behind the scenes on this one in particular especially with you know the heavyweights that you had at the time and with a new director uh who definitely had his uh, a strong creative vision i mean the king usher did you know, of the '90s, he did the Doritos commercials, Pepsi commercials, the Got Milk commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so many that that I think you can, you know, if you go down the rabbit hole with me sometime and go look at '90s commercials, like you'll see a lot of them were directed by him. Huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, did he ever do any Nikes or or anything like that? Those were I remember. I believe so. Yeah. Those Nike commercials were epic in the late '90s, like epic. <laughs> Uh, just huge, like huge production value and great. Yeah. I don't know. I remember there's an onion article that came out in 99, 2000, something like that. And it just said, um, you know, Nike, Nike switching to just making commercials from now on. <laughs> like they would put out these gigantic <laughs> commercials and they'd have a lot of them and it'd be, you know, spotlighting so many different athletes and 
the the themes of being an athlete and all of that stuff. So it was always like mm-hmm. they were huge. Uh, uh, I don't know. I remember just laughing very hard at that onion article because that's that seemed yeah. to be what they were always doing. But uh, yeah, I mean, so this this would have been this was a great this was a great idea for him. I mean, to uh, to to run with because you're talking about superheroes, a subversive superhero story, which would offer a lot of style and and comedy. And with a lot of talent attached like this, not that this is a, a can't fail because clearly it is on some level a failure in terms of, you know, reception. But, um, right. You know, it's, uh, it's, and it, it, certainly it's not an easy job to direct. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm curious what could have been for, if we saw more from him after this, I feel like he getting his well, feet I, wet on this yeah. would have like, I don't know if he really wanted to, what kind of movies could he be, could have been making. Well, I think part of the problem was like this movie offered an opportunity for style, but it comes across over stylized. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, there's it's too much. It's it 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 really feels like it just needs to dial back a little bit. And I get that like he's creating an entire world and wants it to feel like a comic book, um, but it's I think he just went a little too far with it. You know, just dial it back one notch or two. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it feels like a music video. It's shot like a music video. A lot of a lot of cutting. There's a lot of edits in this movie. And it's cut, mm-hmm. cut, 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 cut. Um, of course, there's a lot of people to cover. But it's not packaged like a movie. It's packaged like a music video. Yeah, a lot of Dutch angles. A lot of weird close-ups. A lot of... A lot, and any wide shot is filled with information. Especially, like, in the city scenes just again like a lot of those the neon signs he wanted he wanted to communicate that this is like a very full world they all live in um but like in a comic panel you can do that you you need to you should fill the panel with as much as you can it's harder right. when you're doing just a few seconds of a of a weird shot uh you know every every few seconds just something else filling your head with more information um right you know i think it's a lot to take in because there's some great ideas like it's the the production design itself is so interesting like again we're saying like sort of the little bit of that goth gothic burton-esque topped with the schumacher aesthetic but also with a mixing of the 40s and 60s like technology and vehicles and and design choices and like so you know so even the, a, a suburban home has a house like the 60s but there's driving cars from the 40s they've got right um but they have uh i think the, the all those neon signs things like that that are kind of futuristic so it's a nice blend of like the camp of like 60s batman <laughs> the, the 60s batman mm-hmm. tv show <laughs> then burton's 90 89 batman um and then sort of the the next level of like almost like dystopian future um, all blended, which is a lot of different styles that are interesting, but I think get a little bit muddied by the end. Yeah. They intentionally went with a very like specific tones for every single set and they, they're all very different from each other. So it's just a little jarring. Yeah. Um, I think it's a great idea to like, have a really distinct visual look it was just they just went too far with it i would have you know i think in hindsight it was off-putting visually 
Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think like this movie would have done better with a smaller budget, honestly, uh, in terms of yeah what they could have done. I mean, the the effects that they did at the time, too. You know, they didn't have a ton of different effects, and what they did were kind of big. At the, there's a lot of them, but you know, they they created a whole CGI like city for like them to zoom through at one point. Um, right. But like, yeah, there's. There's just so much going on with it that you you need that. I feel like it needs to be reined in a little bit. I feel like it's it's a little all over the place with with what it's trying to do because it's it's weird comedy. It's got it really does have an attempt at character work with like sort of the main three heroes. Um, yeah, with Furious, the Shoveler, and the Blue Raja, um, all have a sort of a, a purpose into wanting to be superheroes, and that they we they all get an arc in terms of a change of change which is good like i think it's actually pretty effective um yeah and and then the ensemble comes in and really colors a lot of the gaps in which is really cool and then we're still left with a lot of other interesting characters which we unfortunately don't get to know a lot about like like those villains are so interesting and fun eddie izzard like i wish eddie izzard was the main guy like he's He's so fun in it. <laughs> um, he almost could have like had him survive and then were you to make a sequel, like he could be the villain. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the he's the leader one of the leaders of the disco boys. <laughs> the disco boys. The disco yeah. boys. Was the disco boys, the frat boys, and uh yeah. they the the Susies and the the Furies and the Yeah. Um Oh, who were like the like the old time gangsters? I forget their names. Like they, I forgot their names. Uh, I, I feel like a jerk. They <laughs> should know it. Um, so fun. And then the, the not so goody boys, which was just a play on the goody boys uh, right. group. Which uh, I, I don't know. A lot of fun choices and yeah, big colorful world. Uh, yeah, I, I gotta applaud them for that. Yeah. But I think, you know, I think Kinka Usher didn't enjoy the entire, you know, big scale collaborative process dealing with a studio, no, you know, getting notes from the studio and wanting to change this and that and having to reshoot things. I mean, this is a guy who's used to doing, you know, one minute, one minute movies instead yeah. of a two hour movie yeah. with huge budgets and you know, a lot of egos and, and a lot of it is, you know, when you have big actors like this is curtailing to their egos, especially the bigger star they are. And, um, you know, you had a number of them who were of varying degrees at this time. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they were, but it's a, it's a large cast. And I think, especially with the talents of all these people, you know, they really had their own ideas for what they wanted to do with the characters. And it didn't always mesh with what Kinka wanted. And I, I think there was a lot of behind the scenes drama with, um, I know with Stiller and Kinnear um, had a big blow up on set. Between them or with Kinka? Like yeah, between, no, between the two of them. Oh, really? Did not know that. Yeah. Do you have any info on like what they were going no, I mean it's it's you know they they've both admitted that there was a uh, there was a situation where they they were basically going to like you know start start going at each other but um Jeez. and I'm sure they only have like one or two scenes together I think right the opening and then 
when they try to rescue Captain Amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, they're only in two scenes together. And Kinnear probably has like five or six more scenes by himself, you know, with Jeffrey Rush and right and stuff. So and Ricky J. Yeah. And Ricky J. So uh, that's I, that's interesting. <laughs> Although, depending on yeah, so th- hearing on who you're talking about, that's not surprising. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, and I, and I think Stiller conflicted. You know, Stiller's coming off of something about Mary. So mm. this is he's at the you know arguably the peak of his career or the beginning of the peak. Yeah. Um, and I think he was hesitant to do this movie, and because it it really started with them casting Jeffrey Rush and uh, Greg Kinnear, who had been friendly with each other. They had like, you know, been on a flight together and kind of just like, you know, were oogling over working together at some point. And finally, like this was their chance. So they're the first two to sign on. Janine Garofalo signs on because there's, you know, big names getting attached to this and she's good friends with Stiller. So she's the one who convinces him to do the movie. But Uh. it, it felt like he was always dragging his feet a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, about it and I'm not sure what else he had you know Stiller it seemed like he was everywhere um, after something about Mary I mean he was just involved in so many projects oh, and yeah. some of them were like indie films and some of them were much bigger budgets things mm-hmm. um, you know he directed The Cable Guy he's in Zero Effects something about Mary Your Friends and Neighbors Permanent Midnight and uh, did you see You've seen uh, Heat Vision and Jack, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love that. I <laughs> love that. Which I don't know. Maybe it's gotten out there now by now. But it was a Heat Vision and Jack was a pilot that Ben Stiller uh, wrote, directed, uh, produced for Fox in the spring of 1999. That starred Jack Black as like <laughs> how would you describe it? It's kind of like an Incredible Hulk kind of story yeah yeah, where he's this astronaut who's been uh flew close to too close to the sun and he's gotten these powers and he's being tracked down by the government so he's on he's like you know uh on his own on the run uh and the government agent is ron silver the actor who (laughs) plays himself (laughs) right right (laughs) um and it's it's just a pilot but it's hilarious and uh that didn't uh go forward but you can find it on youtube it's it's kind of a hoot yeah it's a it's a and it's wild it's wild and it's perfectly it's a little too wild i guess for fox it's a it's the comedy is just so so zany a little out there and just a lot of fun um yeah that would have been a lot that would have been a lot of fun (laughs) to see that keep doing i wonder yeah and i wonder you know clearly he had been getting his his uh feet wet with directing and and i wonder if there was a little bit of um this is just you know conjecture on my part but mm. i wonder if there was a little bit of you know hesitancy on his part because he wasn't directing the movie maybe if if that had been on the table he might have been much more gung-ho for this and and it would have turned out differently yeah maybe it, it i don't know i mean when you're a creative person who 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 has a lot of control a lot of the time and you have some good ideas that you think will work and it's got to be a, a a weird push and pull about like in those collaborative moments where, you know, we really just need you to be the actor in this. <laughs> uh, but well, who knows? It could be, it could be harder to be a part of someone else's thing, especially in a big ensemble thing where 
you really want to shine as much as you can in the in an ensemble. Yeah. So even though it's weird, well, I think he, he's not. He doesn't even seem like the lead of the movie. At least the way they do the credits. Even he's not even the the, uh, the lead of the film uh, in a sense. I mean, he kind of is. Well, aren't they alphabetical? Uh, or are they? Maybe they are. I can't remember. I th- I think they might be alphabetical. Oh, so. maybe they are. Okay. Uh, because yeah, you would you would, oh. with a group like this, but but all these guys are going to be angling to you know get more and more for their characters, and these these are the kind of guys who improv, who can go off script. So I think things were. I I I'd be curious to see the original screenplay because I'm I'm not sure how much they stuck to it. I think there may have been some not plot wise but dialogue wise especially some. Uh, it seems like there's a fair amount of improv uh, going on here. Oh, I see. I could see that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and you've got uh, an amazing cast here. Um, we talked about Stiller, who's kind of, I think he's perfect to play Mr. Furious. Yeah. Like he really nails that look and that tone. <laughs> oh yeah. Just completely like all of them are just so ineffective. And that's the joke is that they, you know, they just aren't really the ones you want to show up on the, uh, for, on the call, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but William H. Macy is uh, as the shoveler, and he's the you know the family man, uh, and of course he's got a lot of uh, street cred coming off of Fargo and and so many independent movies he was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know he was in Boogie Nights and Wag the Dog and uh, Pleasantville. I forgot he was in Psycho. Oh really? Was he? Yeah. Did you ever see that the Psycho remake? No, I didn't. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's. He's like the detective in it, but um, oh, hilarious! Uh, yeah, and then, and then he's also in you know some lower budget indie films like Happy Texas and uh, Jerry and Tom, and and he's just you know he, William H Macy is one of my favorite you know yeah I, I guess I wouldn't say he's one of my favorite actors of all time, but he's you know one of my favorite character actors. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's the he's the great go to character actor. Um, yeah, he's a he's a massive talent to be in this uh, as part of this trio, with with Ben yeah. Stiller, and uh, of course Hank Azaria. So, yeah, Hank Azaria, who is the Blue Raja, who just cracks me up that he, you know, excels in using cutlery as a weapon, but never a knife. Right, just forks and spoons. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and he's all decked out in green. As all, the blue Raja. Yeah, and it's like, and he's wearing, it's, he's basically wearing like a, a knitted shawl, like a grandmother would wear, and like a, a turban, yeah. probably made from like a tablecloth. Like it's just, a, he, <laughs> the, for the for the most of the movie, um, and he affects a British accent <laughs> on purpose. And even though he's, yeah. we see him without it when he speaks to his mother, um, so he's just all about. And nobody like, understands. Nobody understands why he has that British accent, but he keeps alluding to that he's gonna ha- he's gonna explain it at some point. Does he? Does he? Do, yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah, like it just like he tries to. It's something about like you know, like when the, when England takes over India and it just you know, then he never uh, right. really gets to it. But that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, they play like they have like a, a few scenes. They have a quite a few scenes as a trio together. It's their story of like trying to uh trying to be these effective superheroes trying to basically like find themselves as people um and they've been at this for a long time 
and then it, right and then it was time to like inject some new blood right so it was well yeah it. captain i mean the the plot is that captain amazing who's yeah. played by greg kinnear and yeah. I, you know he hadn't done a lot of roles before this but uh you know he was in as good as it gets and dear god and <clears throat> of course he was in on the original uh talk soup on e which i loved yeah but um he plays Captain Amazing, who's essentially Superman, uh, but he's defeated all the villains, gotten rid of everybody, so he's completely bored. He's filled with sponsors all over his costume, mm-hmm. which was great. Uh, but he's just, there's really nothing for him to do. So, you know, when there's really small scale robberies and that we see in the opening scene, the mystery men will show up. But even then, they get overtaken and amazing us to come in and sort of save the day and get all the credit again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but he, um, being so bored, he concocts a scheme to let uh, Casanova Frankenstein, one of his greatest villains, out of the sanitarium mm-hmm. uh, and on the loose. And in doing that, he ends up getting captured. So the mystery men have to kind of fill in the gap when there is no Captain Amazing and Casanova Frankenstein is on the loose and and starting to cause some havoc that they've got to figure out where their what their role is and and how they can kind of come together as a super group uh, mm-hmm. to defeat him. Exactly. Yes. So the wannabes have to step up because they aspire to be like Captain Amazing. They they want to be him. Uh not for like his status but like, you know, he's the true hero of the city and they're all that's all their goal is to be like real heroes and uh Right. Uh, they, you see, you see them fail continuously. <laughs> yeah, over and over and over. Yeah. <clears throat> but we, uh, so they decide to hold these auditions, these tryouts, to see if they can gather together uh, the rest of a, a team. Yeah. And you see some familiar now familiar faces in those tryouts. You, you caught some of those, right? Sure did. Dane Cook came in as the Dane waffler. Cook, the, uh, the waffler. Yeah. And then uh, and Doug Jones coming in as what was he the eraser head pencil head er- yeah eraser yeah pencil head or pencil head or something like that yeah um, <laughs> so uh, yeah those were those were fun little uh, cameos weren't there a yeah. couple other people that aren't widely known but sort of do this stuff I don't remember I was trying to like I think there is it's kind of it's kind of filled with you know especially comedians of of the of the time oh yeah oh yeah Dana um, Gould was a character too right 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 um I forget what his character was though but yeah but, but all of those are you know they're all just great characters like the PMS Avenger who only works four days a month oh right 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a great trailer trailer bit right there I can imagine yeah. I think that was all over the commercials like so this is the the level of the and it's a, like it, it points to like that the city that they're in too has like a sort of a there's a superhero subculture going on so they know right. who, who else is around like and the, that's where they know the spleen who's you know the unfortunate guy that they don't really they don't really like him because his power is uh uh you know disarming or flatulence flatulence but like you know really powerful controlled flatulence but they even but they even take time to give him a an origin story like straight out of a like a pulpy comic where you know right he was a kid and got cursed by gypsies <laughs> like oh jesus <laughs> like um in a uh, so it was like he was he's been cursed with this power um <laughs> you know and paul rumens is is such a 
funny guy and so great yeah uh as the spleen he's just funny in general um and you can tell like he brings everything he's got to it um just to 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 even to make, to make everyone else shine on uh on screen so he's a great like counterbalance to like some of these guys who are a little more yeah. intense he's like a little more loose and free and and fun um so and yeah. it was so it was it was so good to see Paul Rubens um you know he had really disappeared <clears throat> after 1991 and all the controversy uh you know with what happened uh, to end Pee-wee Herman or Pee-wee's Playhouse and he had to stop playing Pee-wee Herman and you know he was it was almost like he had to go into hiding for years although he would pop up here and there in some small roles and do some voiceover work with uh especially with Tim Burton but um you know, this was, it felt like this was, I guess he did Murphy Brown as well. Um, that was sort of the beginning of a comeback, but this was his first like movie role, I think in quite some time. Oh, okay. Yeah. I could see that. Uh, yeah. So it was good to, to see him back. Uh, yeah. And then you had Janine Garofalo as, uh, as the bowler. And then Janine. Yeah. Perfect. Who was, she's the only one. She was, wasn't she? Go ahead. Uh, well, the bowler just she seems to be the only one with like an actual like a power in a sense, but she's got like a a uh, she carries around a bowling ball with her her father's skull and brain inside of it. And she can talk to him. Yeah. And it kind of acts on its own volition when when she when she needs it to. Um, so she becomes like sort of the powerhouse of the group. But but yeah, to have Janine Garofalo join the group uh, was great. I was so happy. I was happy to see her again. I have always loved her. Yeah. Oh, she and she was everywhere in the '90s. I mean, she was all over the place. Uh, you you couldn't miss her, and she's got such a rapport with Ben Stiller. She goes way back uh, to mm-hmm. the Ben Stiller show with him and mm-hmm. Reality Bites, and mm-hmm. uh, you know she'd done the Truth About Cats and Dogs. But she was in so many things, and um, you know she's got a good rapport with him. She's got a good rapport with Hank Azaria, with Paul Rubens. They all have little short little scenes together, yeah. um, and it works works really well. But yeah, she doesn't have an actual power it's the bowling ball that has the power yeah she just controls the bowling ball yeah because <laughs> her father was the original the bowler and right he was killed carmine by the bowler carmine the bowler that's right and then he was killed by tony p uh the leader of the disco boys <laughs> and so right. she has a, a story where it's like they're out for revenge so it to to, to yeah. revenge his killer um and uh and she's just kind of no nonsense and just a lot of fun. And she has like, yeah, she, she has like these little moments with every character and it's not, I don't know. They're all, they're all a little different, you know, they're all a little fun. So yeah. Um, big fan. Uh, and then we, we also see Kel Mitchell who was uh, famously from all that and Keenan and Kel, the Nickelodeon shows. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, Keenan Thompson's gone to such big success on Saturday night live Kel, you don't see as much, but this, I think he was the first one to break out on his own for a movie with it, with this. And yeah. he, uh, he plays invisible boy. Yeah. He's the invisible boy. Uh, yeah. Nice to see him on that. That's uh, That's yeah. It's, it's an interesting, uh, assembly of, a, of, of a group. But then of course, then they're joined by, uh, the Sphinx played by yep, West, West Studi. Studi. Yeah. So, I mean, bringing his spiritual wisdom to to the role the the, the yeah. leader guidance thing uh, mentor to these uh to these these wannabes yeah 
And you know, and he's great as the as the Sphinx, who who may be the only you know actual superhero, because wasn't it that he can he can slice guns in half he, with his mind? He can cut guns in half. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, slice them with his mind. Yep. <laughs> so, so, and he was based which on which we like, see him do. Yeah, so. he he actually like appears because he he doesn't operate out of the the city they are in, but he I'm sure got word so. Uh, that they were looking because they, they wanted to get him, and they're like, "Nah, he's down in wherever New Orleans or something yeah. like that." Um, originally, so th- again, like the world is filled with this like superhero subculture where there are people who can do things. I mean, Captain Amazing actually does things, I suppose, right? Because um, he never he never loses. So, uh, you know, I guess when you have all those like, I, I like the idea that like there all, all these wannabes exist in a world where. Um, you know, all these great people do these amazing things. It's kind of like, you know, the, would you say like the YouTube culture of, of the, the two thousands, you know, you got these influencers becoming something and then everybody's got their video blogs or Instagram stories, mm-hmm. you know, same sort of thing. Yeah. Everyone looking for their piece yeah. of it, you know, kind of thing. So it's not like, it's not like it's a, a brand new theme. I think there's always been a, uh, everyone chasing sort of the uh, chasing their idols or their role models um, is a strong is a strong thing. Um, so apply that to like what if superheroes actually existed, uh, and but you're still like lower middle class in your big city. <laughs> What's your life like? <laughs> and then as far as the villains go, you've got of course you got Jeffrey Rush leading the way, which was quite a coup for them to cast him in this role. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. I forgot he was in this. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, Oh my God, Jeffrey rush. <laughs> All right. Here we go. How fun. Him and him and Lee yeah, and he's casting over Frankenstein and he's, he's coming off of, you know, the big Oscar run with shine and then Shakespeare in love. Yeah. So, you know, he is like an a level awards, you know, actor uh, who is suddenly in this movie. And I don't know why. I'm not sure why he took this project. I don't know. Maybe for the fun of it. Maybe to branch out, do something a little, like, yeah, quite different, where he can play a, a, a silly version of what of what he can do. You know, I, I think. And, yeah. And it's you know a bigger budget Hollywood thing. You know, I think it's like it's it's about just broadening their scope as as an actor in terms of who's watching you, who's seeing you, and I don't know, and doing something, right. trying maybe doing something his grandchildren is could watch you know kind of thing that would be a little more into like oh it's it's superhero stuff you know i don't know people are motivated to do all all sorts of weird projects that when you look at their career you're like they get they have these like little dots in them like oh i wonder why they chose to do that like they could have probably done a lot of different things but um well you know we've talked before about actors you know taking you know, occasionally taking the money. They're taking a, a role they wouldn't normally to get that big paycheck so they can keep doing uh, some of the lower budget, um, more artistic movies that they want to do. Sure. Yeah. So like why? Uh, so maybe it was the case of that. Yeah. And I mean, and then why not do three or four Pirates of the Caribbean movies later? Like, why not? Why not? That's uh, that'll keep you going for years for yeah. the rest of your life. And you've also got Lena Olin as uh, as his kind of right hand person, you know. Yeah, I I wonder if there's a lot more with her on the right on the cutting room floor or something. I feel like she's like they're totally wasted in yeah. There. Like there's just no almost well, no reason she's in this movie or this character's in the movie. Forget about her, who's great. 
Well, she she disappears. I mean, she's just not in the second half of the movie. Yeah. I mean, maybe she's sitting there, but she does nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think they fight her at the end. She's just not there. Yeah, I mean, she's there with the group when it's all those group gangs, like toward the end of the movie, like all the gangs are there, the frat boys and all that. But then, um, right. But yeah, I don't know if she gets taken down. I don't remember. But if she gets taken down, it's like a like a, a sudden punch and she's done or something like. That you don't you don't waste any time. She's certainly not like interacting with anybody throughout. I don't know. So, well, what, I think what ended up happening is in the early drafts of the script, she had a much bigger role. Mm-hmm. And as they rewrote and rewrote and rewrote, I think a lot of her dialogue and her actions moved over to Casanova Frankenstein because originally it was like the two of them, and then it kind of became just him. Uh, so there really isn't much for her to do. She barely has any dialogue, even. But um, yeah. so it's it, it is a bit of a wasted uh, wasted talent here. Yeah, absolutely. Without like that's the thing. The whole all the bad guys could be in their own movie without any of the heroes, really. With you, with Jeffrey yeah. Rush and Lee Nolan, and then Eddie Izzard uh, as Tony P, and then Proz Mitchell as uh, Tony C, and the Disco Boys. They could be wreaking havoc. They're so they're so fun. Like I just. Uh, I love yeah. I love these guys. Um, the, uh, that it's I don't know. You, I just want to see more. I guess I, I I just like I think that's my my big issue is there's so so many stars, so many characters, so many interesting like things hinted at, and you don't get to do yeah. enough with it. And I think that's what's that might be kind of part of the disappointment from audiences. Like I don't know. That's the cool. Yeah. Well, it's I mean it's it's so loaded with, with talent and you, you know, you've got other people have even smaller roles like Ricky J and, yeah. uh, you know, who we just see in the beginning and Claire Forlani's got a decent, uh, role, you know, as, as Mr. Furious's, uh, attempted love interest. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Is and she... then there's, uh, you know, Tom Waits, of course is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see some other faces too, familiar faces. Artie Lang shows up in that opening sequence. He sure does. He plays yeah. the leader of the Red Eyes. Red Eyes, Red Eyes, and it's Red Eyes. He tells <laughs> he tells this story that he got a call from his his mom and his sister went to see Mystery Men on opening opening day, and then after his scene was done, they called him from the theater and said, are you in the rest of the movie? Because we're leaving. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) They were not into it. (laughs) And he said this was the worst, uh, you know, movie that he's been in and all his little bit parts that he was in for, you know, for a long time, that this was the worst. I find that hard to believe. Worst experience for him, you mean? No, worst, worst role, worst movie. Oh well, he may not like the final product. I can I can see him, I could see him saying it's just a terrible movie and moving on with his life. You know, like I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what his general opinion is, but yeah, it's uh, obviously he's he's gone through some hard times uh, and a lot's changed for him. So I'm not sure if he still holds that opinion, but yeah, I don't know. Um, but I can see why. Like that that you know that opening sequence, especially his part in it, is very Schumacher esque. Well, and I think it's Schumacher esque. The funny thing, uh, the the thing I see is like when Tim Burton did Batman in '89, there was a shorthand to Batman that always relied on the Adam West campiness of it. So there's this like 
there's this general knowledge of Batman with that campiness thing. He flipped it on its head. He changed it. But I don't think I think it's meant to kind of complement it. Like this would be an evolution of Batman. Schumacher kind of went back to the camp and brought it back to right. that. So it's it, it like my first thought was like, oh, this with all the gangs, the stylistic choices, all that. It's I was like, this is like watching the Batman show, like like hands down, like oh yeah. Um, so it was about establishing an aesthetic, and it's it's just a lot. There's just a lot going on. <laughs> um, you know, it's just a it's a jewel heist, or you know, not a jewel heist. It's just a robbery at a at an upscale party with with elderly rich folks. Um, but even all the elderly rich folks who are dancing and having a good time are kind of like partitioned off in their own like kind of uniforms in a, in a sense. Um, and then uh, the red eyes come in and they, whatever their, whatever their bag is, they all just have red goggles on. And then the, the trio come in and they sort of start taking them down and then they get just their, their butts handed to them. Right. And then, that's yeah. when they, so it's just sort of, you almost expect them all to do really well. Cause just the way they're brought in, like how if Batman appeared, he would be kicking their asses. Um, right. So, uh, yeah, I could see, I could, yeah, it, I can see people like not enjoying that first scene, <laughs> like at all. Cause it's like, yeah, what is I can this see that being a turn off. Yeah. Yeah. It, the scene itself makes sense. I think part of it is the way the bat, the villains play and the, that visual style. It's like, Whoa, okay. This is a lot. Yeah. It's intense. And I don't know. It's kind of like maybe right out the gate, like seeing your, your main characters like lose and, and suck. And then like, you know, Greg Kinnear is just so, or Captain Amazing. So like arrogant and kind of a jerk. It's like, this is such a down, this movie is kind of a downer to start. <laughs> like it was just fine. That's the tone. Right. That's the tone they're trying to establish. It's not like it should be feel good or be a great like action hero thing. But I don't know. I, I can see, I can see that not being a great turn on. Uh, later on, mm-hmm. you know, um, we also see in uh, just you know really small roles. We see CeeLo Green as one of the villains mm-hmm. uh, before, way before he became you know the mega star that he is now. Mm-hmm. Michael Bay and Ricky Rackman from the Headbangers Ball—they're part of the uh, uh, the frat boys. Ricky, okay, that's right. <laughs> I I, re- I recognize uh, Michael Bay right away. <laughs> like, Gotta, yeah, yeah, you see him right out, off the bat. Yeah, <laughs> that was a fun little cameo. Um, Tom Waits too. Like, I, I just, I really am a big fan of him in this movie. Yeah. Uh, he um, apparently he wrote a, a lot of his dialogue on his hands. So if you see him doing like weird things with his hands, it's because he's reading his lines off of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing okay I, didn't, yeah. I have to take a look back at that <laughs> he did seem like he was and making appara- choices like interesting vi- physical choices I didn't notice well that he is a as an actor he's a bit of a strange bird um, yeah but so you know some of that is just that in general but, yeah uh, I like the there's a story that he tells that um, where they got the you know when he tries to get the the shoveler to remember his name when they first meet he's like heller heller say it with me and he has him repeat it Mm -hmm. um he got that from when he was in grade school a classmate of his 
their teacher, you know, when they first started, could not remember his name. So one day the kid went up to the teacher and did that bit with her and had her repeat his name so she would remember it. And his name was Heller. No so, way. Oh, my God. I yeah. love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So that was that was kind of a funny bit. Too. I love that. Um, I really, you know, I again, I think the dialogue is pretty strong. I think the characters are pretty strong. There's a lot of good one-liners especially from mr furious like mm-hmm. the lone wolf rides alone yeah 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 <laughs> yeah there's there's just kind of there's a lot of good little things that work on their own like with those one-liners or the jokes or those little asides there's like a, a weird part where janine garofalo is telling there's talking to shoveler about how she says sabotage which is which yeah. is a reference to is a reference to William Shatner, like because he famously right. wouldn't say he does he doesn't pronounce the word sabotage, he says sabotage, and there's audio of it. Like it's a great Hollywood story. Yeah, wasn't that for he was recording one of the Star Trek video games? I don't know. It's a, it's a Star Trek project, but I, I thought maybe he was on set during like the show. I don't remember. No, uh, I is it, I is heard it, it was either. Game? Yeah, it was definitely later. It was like in the nineties. So it was either like doing ADR for one of the movies or was recording for one of those video games they put out. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Um, those funny little moments, um, like everything's, there's a, there's a, I, I hate to use the word quirky in the context of this movie, but I think that's what this movie has a lot of is quirkiness and, and odd little things. Yeah. Um, without without being too explicit about it, I think it's just they pep they're just peppered in. So you can find so many like little moments, like when Tony P just says, "Yeah, I killed I I think it was, yeah, I killed your father because I'm a killer." And it's just this like nice little, it, <laughs> yeah. The way and it's just the way Eddie Izzard is as Eddie Izzard in it, and I, uh, or he, how he discusses Disco's Never Dead with. Jeffrey Rush, right? Just just go. Yeah, gets done. really angry about it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There, there's a lot to like about it individually. I'd say, yes. Um, I like a couple of lines from Mister Furious. Don't punch my clock because I'm a Pantera's box. You do not want to open. <laughs> right, a Pantera's <laughs> box. <laughs> punch my and, clock. I don't need a compass to tell me what way the wind shines. <laughs> right. Come on. That's funny. That's are, funny stuff. I feel like those are very Stiller-esque lines, too. I feel like he probably totally. wrote those. Because that's, that's kind yeah. of his bag when he's doing like the clueless the clueless hero. Kind of the clueless, arrogant guy. That's his style of, uh, of clueless, arrogant guy. Like Will Ferrell's. Yep. Yep. Will Ferrell's like over, sure. the, over the top, like... Conf- overconfident he stiller does a lot of wordplay like he likes to play it uh he likes to see how he sees the world incorrectly he's just not paying attention mm-hmm. um so I, I like that uh yeah there, there were a lot of good moments like that i can't remember there was one other one. Oh, what was it uh uh, uh <laughs> um william macy william macy's driving up driving the tank to the thing and he's like we have a blind date with destiny and it looks like she just ordered the lobster. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's the, that's the pressure that they're under. Like, yeah. A blind date with destiny. Oh. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I think all those, you know, all that stuff kind of works in favor of the movie. Um, 
Yeah. But yeah, it was. It's just something about it doesn't all come together. All those individual things are funny and they they look good and they, they work. But as a, as one cohesive thing, it's just it it kind of comes apart. And maybe that's just you know when you don't have. Apparently, Danny DeVito was up for both playing the shoveler and directing. Mm. So again, with with a more experienced director. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if this would have gelled better than it, it turned out. Yeah. Yeah. And how it all comes out in the edit too. Like, yeah, I just, there's just things that work against it, I think, or, or, or at least hobble it a little. So, I mean, while there's so many things you can uh, say about it, it is like, it's not, it's, it's more than the sum of its parts, but isn't that a compliment? So is it actually the sum of its parts that actually make it not work? Like the individual parts are great, but the sum is right. is actually right. yeah, just something about it all adding up is just like, ooh, what are we missing? What what's the what's the key ingredient? And then once you have everything and you have to put it all together, there may be no fixing that. You know, there just it is everything that you see. Um, yeah, yeah, um, which is really too bad. But uh, that being said, I still yeah. I still enjoy it. I think it's I I. I um, the 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 comedy works for me, and mm-hmm. I can look past the visuals and the story. Maybe not all coming together, and or maybe feeling a little forced. Yeah. Um, and not everyone's characters. You know, most of them don't even have an arc. Uh, it's really just the three, or I guess the four with Janine Garofalo. Right. Um, the rest are just kind of present. Uh, but once that All Stars by Smash Mouth hits, Oof. man, then then it all comes together. <laughs> the the really unfortunate thing is that that is part of this movie forever, and it that is hard to listen to now. I don't know that that yeah, ruined I mean, it, it was like for me like the first time it played. I'm like, oh no, this is where it came from in a sense. Like this is it, right? This is it. This was this movie launched that song, and yeah. then it was just everywhere through the fall of '99 and all the way through 2000. It felt like. Just constantly on the radio, on MTV, it was just these guys were everywhere, and it was, uh, it was like them and Blues Traveler between the two of them. They were just all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. <laughs> and like it leaked into other media, like all star. Like I'm pretty sure it was on like all sorts of sporting things, sporting commercials. Oh yeah. Like you know, and then commercials, commercials other for, trailers. Oh God. Yep. Lots of kids movies trailers. I think over the last two decades. Still, (laughs) probably, probably still, yeah. I mean, All Star is it. It's not. It's not good enough to to maintain for twenty years. I don't think. I think we've we've seen it. So to go back to the origin of it, it actually like I I understand you. We can all look past it in a sense, but it is part of the. It's part of the 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 movie. It's it's. It's not just like yeah. this thing. So it, it, it kind of made it a little rougher for me on that, on that end. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's hard hard to hear that song. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. It doesn't work anymore. But. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so let's talk about, let's let's talk a little box office, shall we? Sure. Let's do the, the B.O. All right. Uh, the movie comes out on August 6, 1999. It had a oh, massive no. budget. It had a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh. It had a sixty-eight million dollar budget. Sixty-eight. So okay. that is, yeah, sixty-eight mil. That's that's a lot of money back then. Yeah. Um, 
you know, clearly it's a lot into the effects because there are major sequences, like everything at the end, there's so many visual effects in that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 you've got a huge cast of some kind of a varying kind of name value. So that, that's all going to add up. And a lot of it is in the production design. Yeah. Yeah. Big sets, big, um, big, big costumes, yeah. big everything. Yep. Yeah. Uh, they definitely definitely didn't hold back. It just you know, I, uh, like I was saying, I think they went too far with it. Yeah. Um, but it opens up number six that weekend, falling Oof. between Deep Blue Sea, which is in week two, and Inspector Gadget in week three. It uh, had the unfortunate uh, uh, drew the drew the short straw against uh, opening up against the Sixth Sense, mm-hmm. Thomas Crown Affair, and Iron Giant. All three of those open that same week as well. All, yeah, all four of those combined open on the Ooh. same weekend. Oh no! Tough. That's, Tough. That's not gonna. That's not gonna gain a lot of traction. Oh wow. No. So I mean, and already like you know, you've got the the rest of the summer movies that are still in theaters. Uh, obviously, Sixth Sense was a huge hit. Thomas Crown Affair was a huge hit, but that's kind of counter programming. So, you know, they're kind of like they can work together on those. And Iron Giant is you know, for more was intended more for kids and is not as expensive as the rest of these. So, um, you know, Iron Giant's a great movie, but this, it really just gets lost in the shuffle. And, and I think, you know, like we said before, is a case of just people being oversaturated with, um, you know, the amount of big budget movies that year Mm -hmm. and the fallout from the Schumacher Batman franchise. Yeah, because it looked like the same. It didn't look different. You know, Blade looked different yep. and was different. This looked exactly like it's like Schumacher could have been directing it. Yeah, I agreed. Uh, yeah, it was it, it was surprising to like to watch this again for the for the, the first time. <clears throat> uh, you know, for the show and like if if it wasn't like heavily influenced, it's just like a straight up ripoff of of like that style. You know, I mean. And I, I guess, I guess it just was the just the worst choice you could have made. I think I don't know. Yeah, that ugly, yeah. beautiful thing just doesn't work, and especially the way it was shot. Um, oh boy, there's and it's not you know it's go ahead. There's something about the bigger type movies, the bigger scope movies that if it's in if it comes out in August, people are t- kind of tired of the, like the big kind of thing so this i mean they, not that right. this was like an epic movie but they were trying to like you know heroes battling villains and it's a big story and you big stars i feel like people are just a little exhausted and like the sixth sense is a small movie you know uh yes. and it's uncomplicated iron giant um great great movie that's great for kids and families and thomas crown affair great date movie great for older audiences that don't need a lot of flair I mean, those are, mm-hmm. that was a like, nice break from all the, the stuff that was going on uh, yeah. that summer. Yeah. So to put, I, I always get the, I always feel bad for any movie that comes out in August uh, as part of the summer because people sometimes just get exhausted. Um, right. You know, it's, you know, they want them in July. They want them in June if they can. May, ideally, mm-hmm. you know, um, because people are, are just tired of going to the movies and they, they're getting ready for the fall. Um, who the hell knows what movies are going to look like this year, uh, ever, and, or for the next couple summers? Right. Like this yeah. is the, <laughs> the whole world's changed. The box office has been has, has exploded. So, 
Um, yeah. It's uh, these numbers will mean very different things later on. <laughs> the, yeah. For us to be discussing them, but um, so yeah, that's more my my thought of like it's just it would have got lost in the shuffle way earlier, but it, it, this was almost like they're just dumping it off uh, without it trying to be like the very last weekend of August. It, it almost should have come out like before Star Wars. Like it almost should have come out in early May, you know? Yeah. It might have done better getting ahead of all of it rather than coming in the tail end. Yeah. I feel like if they could have had this ready for like mid April, like they could have had a nice little run for a little while, probably set T people up for, for what the summer was going yep. to be. Um, well, they could have capitalized off the Matrix a little bit and then gotten in there before Phantom Menace because that was, I mean, the, the craze for Star Wars that year was insane. Yeah. Uh, being the first of the of the sequels, but, yeah. uh, or prequels or whatever. Um, but yeah, it ends up, you know, it, opening weekend, it only pulls in 10 million. Total domestic was uh, just shy of 30. Uh, worldwide, it's only 33 million. So it, it's like half, you know, it, it was half of its budget. And that doesn't even in, include all the ads. So um, really, really big failure here. Yeah. Uh, it ends up uh, number 69 of 1999, mm. <laughs> falling between Superstar. You remember that movie? Sure. Uh, with uh, SNL. Yeah. SNL. Which was yeah, which Molly was Will. another another failure, um, but not you know again not as expensive. And the uh, it's, so it's it's between Superstar and The Insider, which The Insider is the Michael Mann film that that came out in like November. So mm. that's barely a nineteen ninety nine movie. But you know I, I don't know, just really really not good numbers for uh, for Mystery Men. Yeah, bummer, bummer for them. They were out of theaters within but, like a month or two, probably a month. No, probably yeah. two months. I don't know. That's tough. That's tough. But it's funny because like so many people that I talk to are like, they love Mystery Men. Mystery Men's hilarious. <laughs> but nobody, you know, it just was, nobody saw it in 99. <laughs> they saw it in 2000 on DVD. Yeah, I feel like they saw it later and they, they have a little bit of affection for it. Sure, I could see that. Yeah. But it's not something anyone talks about. I don't think anyone like gets gets jonesed up to like throw on mystery men anymore maybe i mean it depends on your experience with it i think you, you watching it with your with your good friend and laughing over the course of a few weeks you know it cements it for you a little bit better than me who saw it once probably by myself like <laughs> you know right uh, so you know it's part of it is like when how it affects you when you saw it as we've we've talked about in the past yeah but i think you know how do you think how do you think it stands now, um, you know, here in 2020, just forgetting the summer that it came out, just individually on its own? Uh, what, what do you think? Do you think it works? Would you recommend it to people? What do you think? Um, I mean, I probably, I really don't think I'd be like, oh, you should watch that. I honestly don't. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's necessary um, for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, if someone's curious about it though, and I'm like, oh, well, like if you have an interest in it, yeah, go for it. Like, cause there, because if you have an interest, whether it's the actors, the comedy, an odd, a different kind of superhero story, you know, that kind of works, but you know, I'd say sure, go for it. But if someone never saw it and they were like, well, what do you think? Should I watch it? I probably like, you don't need to, 
<laughs> Honestly, I, I don't I don't think it's necessary for it because everyone in it's done better things. Other movies have executed like the sort of the blue collar superhero thing, I think, or at least the small the small time kind of superhero thing, I think, does does it better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, so for me, I wouldn't really recommend it to someone who didn't know anything about it that I wouldn't I wouldn't. But that said, I did enjoy it. I think it's fine. I probably don't need to see it again, to be honest. Um, but you know, it's it's. <laughs> I have trouble. Yeah. I'm having trouble articulating because it's it's not really that bad. But for me, it's just not. It doesn't really do it for me in the right. And and it, and is it maybe a case of like you've seen it and it's not like you don't feel like you you need to rewatch it? Yeah, I, I yeah. This sort of cemented it, like. I was I was actually there are times where I could have watched it in the past and I'm like, oh, I, I really want to watch that again, like because it'd been so long now that I've watched it again. I can't see myself saying that uh, ever again, like probably, you know, uh, because now I've done that. Right. I uh, you know, it's interesting because I think guardians like does a lot of what this movie tries to do but on a much grander scale and much more successfully mm-hmm. um you know guardians one and two i think are both really well put together mm-hmm. um this i would recommend if you're especially if you're a fan of ben stiller or any of these actors you like his style of of comedy um i i would i would recommend it uh i think it's funny i think the joke's Hold up. The characters are great and are worth seeing. I don't know if you need to watch it multiple times, but yeah. if you haven't seen it, I would recommend it. I think it's I think it's fun, a fun watch. Um, you know, don't don't take it too seriously. Um, it's you know, it's it's a lighthearted, uh, you know, a lighthearted superhero comedy. So I, I think sure. it, I think it is effective and it works as that. Yeah. Um, but I can see. You know, I, I see, having seen it, you know, enough times, I can I can definitely see what the problems are. But uh, I think that if I were seeing it for the first time now, I'd still find it funny. Sure. No, I can see it. Well, that's the thing. I don't I don't think anyone who might have an interest in it would not walk away with like some laughs or, you know, like having enjoyed it. And again, I, I think I've made like if you if you've never heard of it, let's say I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> but. If you wanted mm-hmm. to know more and that intrigues you and I told you these things that this is this is the the kind of tone and the fu- like the jokes and these are these are how funny these guys are. And if someone wanted to watch it, I'd be like, yeah, great. I wasn't I just wouldn't push it. I just wouldn't push the movie. Yeah. Uh, if, yeah. Yeah. I would I would just give the facts <laughs> of the case. This is so what, this so is what me. would you give it on the uh, the old Jack Burton scale? Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna take a hit for me here. So it's gonna it's it's a six point five. Uh, six point five. Right in the right in the dead center out of thirteen. Like I don't I don't hate it. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's I think I've made my case. So six point five is probably where I would equate it. Uh, I'll distill my opinion down to that number. Okay. Yeah. I'd go a little higher. I would go. I would go eight point five for me sure. out of thirteen. I would just because I think it's. I, I think the jokes are funny. I still sure. laugh at some of the the shit that Blue Raja is doing oh, and Mister yeah. Furious just being furious and achieving nothing. Yeah. Um, 
and some of the other guys the 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 whole gag of invisible boy you know no one like yeah you can only see he only goes invisible when no one's looking i think that's funny um oh yeah and i like a lot of the other actors captain amazing greg like greg kinnear is fantastic as that egotistical jerk um which which kind of plays on uh, Amazon's The Boys, right? Does, I think that's got a little bit in tone with that. I think so, um, yeah. Well, The Boys, I think the the conceit is that all the superheroes are actually kind of bad guys or arrogant villains, villains yeah. or something, I, which I haven't seen. Um, and I heard doesn't quite get the source material quite right, the tone of the source material, but it's probably enjoyable mm-hmm. on its own. Um, yeah, I, I get, like I said, I... I I, I'm with you on every point you're saying. Like, it, it's it's just a matter of what your takeaway is, and yeah, we just differ on like right how, what the value is. So, but and like, yeah. again, the, all those little all the things about it are great, but the whole thing is maybe not that great. Like, and that's where it, that's why it just suffers on my silly little <laughs> Jack Burton scale. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's still I still enjoyed watching it. I had a, I had an, I had a good time with it. It was fine. I think maybe if like if you're a fan of the tick also you'd probably like this yeah definitely it feels like they would exist in the same kind of world absolutely like that's that's what that's the comparison that I think came to the movie a lot um, with tick comics and the cartoon that came up way before this and then they've they've tried to do iterations of the tick uh, since in live action form and uh, yeah it's just yeah uh, like yeah if you enjoy the tick you would enjoy the hell out of this, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we'll see. Maybe one day they'll all come back together as older uh, superheroes and make a sequel. Cool. That'd be fun. <laughs> Super old guys. <laughs> well, it'd be interesting now with where, where all these guys' careers have gone. It'd be, I'd be interested to see that. Sure. But, uh, who knows? I'd like to see them train a new a new group of mystery men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I think if I, I, you know, that's another thing. If they made an attempt at, uh, you know, giving this one another shot now, I would bet it would be completely different. Yeah. And uh, obviously, depending who they got, we would see if it would be a success or not. But it might be worth kind of if they can make Guardians of the Galaxy work, they could make this work. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a there was a meme uh, when these comic book movies were coming out and there was still no word if there was going to be a Wonder Woman movie and it some of the criticism like you know people aren't ready for like an, a, a solo female lead we can't fit in the schedule but it's like the meme was just a we can't we're, the world's not ready for wonder woman and then dc comics the world's not ready for for a woman superhero marvel here is a talking raccoon and the map movie was just about <laughs> to come out like that you know that, that, that yeah. was the difference Oop. um you know between what audience is for but yeah no this would certainly fit into Especially as a, a to be subversive to the genre, um, and little putting a little more of that everyman blue collarness to it. Um, there was a comic series called Astro City by Kurt Busiek, um, right? And that kind of touches on the. There's sort of a realism to to all these uh, to a, a fictional superhero city where there's lots of superhero people, but then a lot of re- but it's about the regular people in it and. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and sometimes there's wannabes and they they cross paths with real villains and real heroes or they're just regular people who get affected by it. So I, and I that I don't know people really enjoyed that that 
that series in its iterations. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely an audience for something like this. And if it, I, I don't know, I wonder what its cult status is. I, I'm sure there are more fans in it for it now. And then maybe even new audiences finding it, you know, younger audiences. I can see yeah, that. Yeah. I'd be curious to hear. Yeah. What's, what's out there, what the vibe is. Yeah. Um, hmm. How about that? So All these superhero if, movies. Yeah. And if you've got if you've got thoughts about Mystery Men and or you know people who haven't seen it, you want to recommend it, sh- drop us a line. You can uh, hit us up on social media. We're at Reconcinimation Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can check us out at www.reconcinimation.com and check out our back catalog. Got a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's been fun looking at Mystery Men, and I'm yeah. looking forward to what we uh, have coming up. In uh, as we sort of uh, head toward the uh, towards the end of season two for Reconcinimation and going into year three. Yeah, stay tuned. We got lots of stuff coming. Yeah, and uh, as always, you know, check us out on Apple Podcast or Podbean or Stitcher or anywhere you listen to your. Uh, podcast and drop us a rating and review on any of those sites it helps the show a lot and uh quick thank you to ek wimmer for the theme song as usual don't forget to check out his podcast laser graves uh where he's got he's got some funny episodes on there recently he, he took a look at uh little monsters recently with fred savage um very interesting take on that uh it's a good show but uh, check that show out. And uh, thank you to Curtis Moore for the poster, as usual. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that's about that about wraps us up. We're going to head towards our uh, next week. Where we'll be back with our season finale uh, for season two. So we will see you then on Reconcinimation. Bye now. Go, go, go for the moon.